is the main event. What you gonna do? If you're some man! Best there is, best there was, best there ever will be! Woo! Yeah! Ooh, yeah. I am the game! Costoco said so. Oh my god! What I'd like to have right now! Rest in peace, Waterrush! Be the man! You gotta beat the man! Are you ready? Everyone has a price! Yeah, I come here to fight! Standing ovation here! Introducing your old school pro wrestling nostalgia podcast, Beyond the Bell. Welcome back, old schoolers. I'm Sean Beckerman, once again here to cover all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling as we go beyond the bell, powered by the SNS Radio Network. And it's that time once again for the granddaddy of the summer, the WrestleMania of the summer. It's SummerSlam, arguably the second biggest event of the year for the WWE. Some say the Royal Rumble has crept on its heels leading up to WrestleMania itself, but this year they built up SummerSlam as an extravaganza. Hailing from my hometown, Brooklyn, New York, I'll be there on site providing you live feedback from the show and what's happening inside and outside the squared circle, all the happenings and such from SummerSlam week, SummerSlam weekend, 2015. But tonight, I'm back to bring you a special edition of Beyond the Bell. We've had over the years many SummerSlam specials, and tonight we're going to go back into the archives to combine two episodes into one, a jam-packed premium edition of BTB, as we're going to look back at the biggest and greatest feuds in SummerSlam history. Previously, we covered it in two parts throughout the years of the history of SummerSlam, but we combine the two into one tonight and present you one jam-packed edition. For those of you that haven't listened to it, you're in for a treat, and those of you that already have, why not go back to relive the greatest feuds while you're getting pumped and amped for SummerSlam 2015 this weekend? What a weekend for the WWE back-to-back-to-back shows from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, NXT on Saturday, SummerSlam Sunday, and Raw on Monday. My goal is to hopefully provide you audio, providing feedback, and the happenings and my experiences during this great SummerSlam weekend. Granted, for those of you at home, you need to know, as an FYI, my second child is about to be born any day. So if I'm off the grid for a little bit, there's a reason for that. So please bear with me 
as this is a crucial point in my life, and things can happen any moment, even during SummerSlam itself. So I have my uh, backup plans in place, in a sense, and I am ready to go in case anything happens. But if I'm absent for a brief time, you fans know why. But tonight, we present the greatest feuds of SummerSlam history, and going back and editing these two together, I noticed that there was an issue with part one with the tail end of the show where I went back to review the SummerSlams of the past, and as we came up to SummerSlam 2002, the clip, the audio clip I recorded vanished. Not sure what happened exactly, but it disappeared, and it skips from the previous SummerSlam we discussed, then through the invasion of WCW, and then we ended the show, you know, with my outro. Not sure what happened to that clip, so I'm going to go back to cover SummerSlam 2002, The Lost Audio. I'm going to re-record it covering that year's SummerSlam and the biggest matches and feuds of that year as it was a big one, one that I attended as well. Kind of fitting, going back to relive a SummerSlam that I was at in the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, Long Island. And nevertheless, 13 years later, the WWE is back in New York, Brooklyn, New York. What a big four-hour SummerSlam coming your way. But fans, after this quick break, we go back to relive the greatest feuds in SummerSlam history. Don't go anywhere. SummerSlam is archived after this quick timeout. Advance Auto Parts knows what makes a car guy a car guy. It's the commitment to maintain an engine through the 300,000 mile mark. It's burning the midnight oil to finish a job most guys would rather hand off. It's loyalty, and it's why there's speed perks from Advance Auto Parts. Spend 100 and get $20 off your next qualified purchase. No cards, no points, no nonsense. Advance Auto Parts, for guys who love getting under the hood. See store to sign up or visit speedperks.com for details. Since 1988, Vince McMahon and company have put on the Summer Spectacular as one of their cornerstone events. While it's certainly not built up with the same level of prestige as WrestleMania, it is certainly an event where WWE targets some of their bigger feuds of the year to culminate in the months following their flagship event. In some cases, it's known as the WrestleMania of the summer. For over a decade, it was the number two event of the year, the second biggest show for the World Wrestling Federation. Some even will argue, to this very day, it's still the second biggest show. Over the past five to ten years, the Royal Rumble has crept in as being a highly anticipated event as it kicks off, officially, the road to WrestleMania. But back in the 80s, since its inception, the late 80s into the early 90s, SummerSlam was a huge event. Especially for me, since I was able to witness the first few SummerSlams live in the audience as they mostly hailed from the East Coast, the tri-state area. 
from the Meadowlands, the Continental Airlines Arena at that at one time. Now the IZOD Center, Madison Square Garden to the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island. I've been lucky enough to witness many SummerSlams live in person. Still, to this very day, there's an aura about SummerSlam. You cannot deny it. You'd still get goosebumps. It's still, it still feels like a huge event. The WWE still has tried to make it special by producing high caliber matchups and storylines. In a sense, it's ramping back up after WrestleMania hangover season. With the newly designed Money in the Bank pay-per-view, it seemed to throw a wrench in there as some excitement, you could say quite a bit, a lot of excitement, was generated by this pay-per-view designed by creating a new star in a sense as a Money in the Bank briefcase is used to sometimes create a brand new star or revitalize a career. Now that's thrown in the middle of WrestleMania and SummerSlam season, you can say maybe it took the a little bit luster, took a little bit of shine off of SummerSlam. Still, it is one of the biggest events of the year. And tonight we're going to go back and remember some of the greatest feuds, storylines, and matches of SummerSlam. Just a note, we're not going to go into a lot of detail in between each storyline because we're going to archive every SummerSlam, and in my opinion, the feuds, matches, and storylines that made it so special. So I'll give you a brief synopsis, in my opinion, of why it was so important, why it captivated the fans' interests, and why it's remembered to this very day. We're going to break down the entire history of SummerSlam. Remember the superstars, storylines, and infamous moments from the August pay-per-view extravaganza. So here's a look back at the history of the event and some of the top feuds in SummerSlam history. We'll start off, of course, with 1988 Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage versus Andre the Giant and the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. The Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks. This match provided a gateway for Randy Savage to finish out his feud with DiBiase and his hired giant. It then gave us the foundation upon which the Savage-Hogan feud was built upon for WrestleMania V. Being there live in person, the very first ever SummerSlam, you felt the importance, you felt the hype of this huge event. Mega powers, mega bucks. The crowd was going crazy. And this event was, and this feud was so special because it laid the groundwork. It ended some storylines and laid the groundwork for others to springboard off of and then launch directly into WrestleMania season. Also that year, we cannot forget ravishing Rick Rude taking on Jake the Snake Roberts. We briefly mentioned it during our Hall of Fame series recapping the career of the late great ravishing Rick Rude. And we focused in on the induction, the 2014 induction of Jake the Snake Roberts into the Hall of Fame. Though the two didn't have a match on the card, the feud started and really got heated leading up to this event and during Rude's match in which Roberts interrupted. You know, how much more personal can you get when a guy who gyrates his hips, you know, puts a, a picture of someone else's wife on his crotch? That's got to generate heat, right? So, But even though they didn't have technically a match during SummerSlam, their feud was excelled and ignited even further on the first ever SummerSlam. Move ahead to the following year, 1989, 
we talked about the mega powers versus the mega bucks then it was another tag team matchup headlining the pay-per-view hulk hogan and brutus beefcake against this time the macho man randy savage and zeus savage and hogan had their feud continued from wrestlemania 5 a couple of months prior and you also add in the aspect of Zeus bringing in his feud from the film No Holds Barred into real life. Though it might seem a bit lame now, back when wrestling had the this is real aspect going for it, it was cool to see the crossover, a movie star now attacking the real life Hulk Hogan. Not to mention the fact that Zeus seemed like a scary, scary, scary monster at the time as well i was scared cross eye and all tiny lister zeus was intimidating and that made that match special also if you check on the facebook page as well as my website ringannouncing.com during the intro of the main event when you see brother brutai brutus beefcake come out they'll show a nice little zoom shot of this chubby little 10 year old let's say dressing up like Brutus the Barber Beefcake, tanned and all, semi-mullet intact, spiky hair, turquoise outfit, and the big scissors, yes, that's me, pretending to be Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Also in 1989, the Intercontinental Championship was up for grabs, and this is what made me remember this this event overall. Well, of course, me being on television, that was a highlight, being a little kid, being ecstatic to see yourself in a costume, pretending to be one of your favorite superstars. But the goosebumps, the feeling that I had when I witnessed the ultimate warrior defeat the honky tonk man the year prior to win the Intercontinental Championship in a matter of seconds, the crowd went absolutely crazy. The Warrior winning the Intercontinental title, the music, the whole effect, it made it, and it, it gave you chills. Then you fast forward to 89 with the Warrior taking on Ravishing Recruit, and the feud started with tensions at the Royal Rumble as Warrior got a beat down from Rude. Then the title changed hands at WrestleMania 5 when Rick Rude beat the Ultimate Warrior for the title. And things continued into SummerSlam, in which the two battled for 16 minutes, likely one of the longest matches in Warrior's career. And it was an infamous one. A decent match for the Warrior, but riding the high of defeating the Honky Tonk Man for the Intercontinental title, then carrying it the following year to taking on, taking on Ravishing Rick Rude in another great match, two different different matches. One was not really a match. Boom, boom, boom. Splash, done. Match over. And the other one had more storytelling to it. But then you fast forward again to 1990 where we witness now another championship match between the two except it was for the world championship the WWF championship with now the ultimate warrior riding the high of beating Hulk Hogan at Wrestlemania 6 for the WWF championship supposedly the now new top guy in the promotion the new face of the company would move on to take all contenders and he'd face a familiar foe in Ravishing Rick Rude, this time in a steel cage matchup. How much bigger does it get than the blow-off match for a feud that lasted more than a year? Put it inside a steel cage. That is how you blow off a feud. In today's day and age, it seems as if they start a feud in a hell in a cell or a cage match or elimination chamber. 
due to the themes of the shows that the superstars are competing at, the blow-off for a feud needs to be this type of situation, a cage match. Ravishing Recruit always seemed to get the best out of the Ultimate Warrior. That same year was very emotional for me, too, personally. As that year, around the same time when Hulk Hogan went down with an injury due to the mighty earthquake on the Brother Love show, I had some health issues as well. I actually had my appendix burst during that same time. Right when the earthquake squashed Hulk Hogan, I was in the hospital bed as it burst, uh, my appendix burst inside of me, and I was laid up for a couple weeks under evaluation because that could be quite dangerous. And I remember watching WWF superstars, watching Earthquake sit on Hulk Hogan, squashing his ribs, him being laid out on a stretcher, tears coming down my eye. I'm in a hospital bed, tears coming down my eye, and I'm writing a get well card for Hulk Hogan in my hospital bed. Amazing. Amazing what emotion professional wrestling can draw out of you. You know, in the late 80s and early 90s, you'd be hard-pressed to find anything in the world of wrestling to rival the popularity of Hulkamania. Following WrestleMania 6, as we discussed, Earthquake put Hogan out of action. It seemed like forever, but it was two months. And then did the same to Hogan's right-hand man, who was supposed to be in Hogan's corner for the match. A very similar comparison can be made two decades later, over 20 years later, with the matchup between Brock Lesnar and Triple H, in which we'll discuss. But one of my favorite moments of all time in SummerSlam history, due to the the sheer comedic value of it, was the jailhouse match between the big boss man and the Mountie. Again, I was lucky enough to witness it live in person. A great card top to bottom in my opinion but the antics and the hilarity between the big boss man and the mountie the mountie was fabulous losing to the big boss man finally getting what's coming to him then being handcuffed and then him saying you can't do this to me i'm the mountie and then being thrown into jail and meeting someone of uh a different kind, so to speak, wearing all leather, ready to explore the Mounties regions. I want you gentlemen to do it the Mountie kind of justice. The Mountie shouldn't be out there talking to New York City's finest on how to treat me. Dragging through these halls. He should be on his hands and knees talking to the man upstairs, praying to God that he makes it through till tomorrow morning. And throw the key away. He's going to be the one who spends a long, hard night in jail. Nobody's going to slammer here in the Big Apple. They're going to you and throw you in a cell with who knows what. This is turning into a brawl, too. Once and for all, we're going to know who is the real law and order in the World Wrestling Federation. The Mount is the only law and order, baby. Uh, he wants to say, 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 he
very funny segment, funny feud and rivalry that was intense at times. The boss man made it intense, but had a comedic side for the Mountie Jacques Rougeau. Also that year, goosebumps down the arms when the LOD, the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk defeated the Nasty Boys to win their first ever WWF Tag Team Championship. What a moment as well. You thought, what other title change can get you as high as it did during that pay-per-view event? No, no, no. Brett the Hitman Hart versus Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental title made you feel even better. Going into SummerSlam, the Hitman was mostly known as a tag team specialist. Having paired up for much of his young career with his brother-in-law, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, this was Brett's opportunity to establish himself as a formidable singles competitor. But he had quite the challenge ahead of him. Now, WWE Hall of Famer Kurt Henning known then as Mr. Perfect, won his first Intercontinental Championship in a tournament in spring, in the springtime of 1990. But by SummerSlam 1991, he had been champion for 13 of the previous 16 months. In my opinion, this was the peak of the Intercontinental Championship. This truly meant, well, as well as Steamboat Savage too, a couple years prior during WrestleMania 3, but this was the epitome of the Intercontinental title, and this is what it needs to get back to, signifying the true workers of the business, and that is what the Intercontinental title was at that time. What a great match between the two. The Hitman, you felt it in the air. Some, a star was being made or was in the process of moving further in his career that very night when he tore Mr. Perfect single it off, throwing it back at him, putting him in the sharpshooter, and then celebrating as you see his mother, his mother and father, Stu and Helen Hart, clapping for him. So proud. The Hitman raising up that championship. The Hitman, no matter what you say about him, he made it important. He made the championships important, and he held that title like it was the his biggest prize, his most coveted possession of his entire life, like it's his own child holding that championship belt. I'm going to get on a soapbox right now real quick. That belt, even though it's the same style as today, which I'm glad they went back to, look at the shine, the appeal. Is something wrong with the IC title today? It looks dull. When Cody Rhodes brought it back, he added that little gold, a little extra gold tint, that little flair to it, kind of had like the backing of the World Heavyweight Championship. It looked cool, a modern take on the IC title, but somewhere down that line, I think after Cody dropped it possibly, they went back to the original design. No complaints here, don't get me wrong. But it seemed to lose its shine. It's dull right now. Where's that shine? The Hitman made it look good. So did Mr. Perfect, don't get me wrong. But you you felt Bret Hart love that championship. What a feeling at SummerSlam 91. And then the main event of the evening in SummerSlam 91. Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior versus Sergeant Slaughter and Colonel Mustafa. Not only Colonel Mustafa, but General Adnan. The Triangle of Terror. Slaughter, Mustafa Adnan. General Adnan, of course, Sheik Adnan Al-Kasi. And Colonel Mustafa, the Iron Sheik. 
why they had to change his name, I guess, to fit the Iraqi war. And maybe it was too close for comfort, as we'll talk about on our Famous Feud series, the battles between Sergeant Slaughter and the Iron Sheik, and now they're on, they're on the same team together. Maybe it was too close for comfort there. But it was the match made from hell and the match made from heaven that headlined SummerSlam 91. And this main event was the match made from hell. The Hogan-Slaughter feud was so heated. There were reports of needing snipers at WrestleMania to ensure Slaughter's protection from any crazies who wanted to get to him, as we documented as we documented thoroughly on the stories behind WrestleMania. Go back in the archives at btbcast.com to listen to those shows. This was the final big match in the feud, and being that they included the ultimate warrior that made it all the bigger. The backstage politics of what's going on with the war uh, impacting these crazies, threatening slaughter, not realizing it's a storyline and an act, it's entertainment. From the ultimate warrior, supposedly by Mr. McMahon, holding up the company, wanting more money, as we found out to be untrue. Other factors came into play with Sid Justice, the brand new superstar, becoming the special guest referee for the match. Kind of laying the heir apparent to Hulkamania. That was their hopes. At the end, him cupping his ears, Sid Justice, like Hulk Hogan, and posing with him. Come on, they couldn't make it any more blatant. But it was a great event. Goosebumps again. I know I'm repeating myself, but Hogan coming out, the warrior coming out to defend America. Living in the U.S., being a U.S. citizen, what could get any better than that, right? Witnessing the macho man Randy Savage marry Miss Elizabeth Yeah, the match made from heaven, was interesting as well. Them tearing down the ring, taking the ropes down, making a virtual wedding. As the actual main event, the last event of the show, celebrating the love and marriage of Macho Man Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth. Who could forget the song together? The prototypical signature wedding song for the World Wrestling Federation WWE. We fast forward to 1992. For the very first time, SummerSlam is hailed from the United Kingdom. Wembley Stadium. Some of the matches were forgettable in a sense. Seeing the Road Warriors, the LOD, come down on the motors on their motorcycles down that long ramp. What an impressive visual. From Ric Flair, a part of the World Wrestling Federation at this time, in his battles with the Macho Man Randy Savage, to the main event. The first ever, and I think it'll be the only, I very rarely will think this will happen going forward in the history of SummerSlam. A main event for the Intercontinental title, superseding the WWF title. At this moment in time, the IC title was bigger than the WWF championship. Unbelievable to think, right? Brett, the Hitman Hart, took on the British Bulldog. This is why having a title is so vital that people believe in. It's so vital. Because it could draw money. It makes main events. The stature of this match tells you how popular the civil war between brothers-in-law actually was, especially given that it was an intercontinental championship match. To main event the night was unheard of at that point. 
but it created one of the top moments in the history of the event itself. When Matt Stryker yells out, Wembley Stadium, the infamous final spot of the match, of the Bulldogs scooping Bret Hart's legs for the count one, two, three, Diana Hart, Brett's sister, Bulldog's wife, in the middle of it all. A great storyline, an even better match, and it all surrounded the Intercontinental title from the previous year, Bret Hart defeating Mr. Perfect to become the IC champion. You could not write it any better, folks. 1993 was a little different, kind of pushing more towards the new generation style. Looking past Hulkamania, in a sense, the all-American Lex Luger was the focal point following the USS Intrepid as he took on Yokozuna for the World Championship. After defeating Hulk Hogan for the title, Yokozuna seemed unstoppable. Lex Luger got rebranded as an American hero of sorts, and he took the Lex Express straight to the big man after body slamming him. That aircraft carrier, the USS Intrepid, I was able to witness live, was another great moment. The helicopter came down, a great storyline. I thought it was Hulk Hogan. I was hoping it was the red and yellow coming up, but instead it was the former narcissist, now all-American Lex Luger, the hopeful next Hulk Hogan. Even though the storyline was memorable with the Lex Express driving all around the country, the ending was disappointing as it wound up in a countdown. Lex Luger did not win the championship, didn't pull the trigger there, and they celebrated like he won the title and defeated Yoko. I just don't understand that. Why are you celebrating? You didn't beat him. Yes, technically via countdown, but he's still the champion. What did we accomplish? It got me a little confused. What I remember with greater affection was the creative feud, you could say, between Bret Hart and Jerry the King Lawler. The Hitman battled twice on the card in 93, having to defeat Doink the Clown before he even got the opportunity to battle his rival, Jerry the King Lawler. What resulted in a very heated match in one of the top feuds of the early 90s. And now the SummerSlam recall is brought to you by Twix. Need a moment? Do it over with the chocolate caramel and fresh cookie crunch of Twix. Notice the Barber Beefcake, because of injury, unable to challenge the Intercontinental Champion, the Hockey Talk fan tonight, being the humanitarian that I am. I'd say, World Wrestling Federation, give me anybody. Let me have somebody to wrestle. Big smile on the face of the honky-tonk man. You know, he may be one of the greatest intercontinental champions. Guys had that title over two years now, Gorilla Monsoon. Get me somebody out here to wrestle. I don't care who it is. And when we return after this short break, we approach the new generation era in the WWF and SummerSlam would take a different view and different theme as new faces are being seen. We kind of close the book on Hulk Hogan 
Macho Man Randy Savage and others, and we open them up to a new generation of superstars. Some Big Daddy Cools, a Heartbreak Kid or two, and a guy oozing machismo. We cover the mid-90s next, after this break on Beyond the Bell. Are you having trouble watching streaming media outside of the United States? Or do you want to protect your identity and location over the internet? Unblock Us is the answer for you. Faster than any VPN, Unblock Us is a great service which allows any device to access media streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, and iPlayer from anywhere in the world without needing to use a VPN. Unblock Us is not a traditional VPN service. They route your location requests through their own servers, which in turn masks your true location to those sites which require it. They work with more devices than a traditional VPN does, such as Apple TV, Xbox, and PlayStation, as well as all your traditional devices, like phones, tablets, and PCs. Think it's too hard to set up? Unblockus offers one of the largest collections of user-friendly setup guides ever seen, covering computers, game consoles, routers, TVs, and mobile devices. At just $4.99 per month, all of your devices are covered, no hidden messages or services. Unblockus offers a 7-day unrestricted free trial. All you need is an email address to begin the trial with no upfront payment details. So go now to snsradionetwork.com or btbcast.com and click on the Unblock Us banner and start watching your favorite videos with full security and anonymity. We're in the Anglo, a record-setting crowd, watching this extraordinary historic event of SummerSlam, Michaels, Razor Ramon, rematch of the century, it could very well be. Will it be the same result as WrestleMania 10? Will history repeat itself? Over a year, this has been eating me. You know, I made history, but I was the losing part, and I can't have that. I'm the one with everything to lose and nothing to gain, but I need this for me. Boy, Thor, Chico, it is not just your precious goal that is on the line. It is your body, your career. Razor Ramon, rest assured, wild horses, nothing is going to keep a heartbreak kid traveling up that ladder and taking the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental title. Oh no, wait a minute. Here it comes, Razor's Edge! Oh no! Now the shot! Shawn Michaels do it! Yes! Shawn Michaels, the most Brazilian superstar there is today, deservingly, with the Intercontinental Championship belt over his shoulder. Welcome back as we now approach the new generation in the WWF 1994 hits its way as we saw The Undertaker versus The Undertaker. A lot of angles taking place in 94 and a lot of groundwork being laid for new characters, new storylines and angles to take place on the revolutionary Monday Night Raw program. Following a lost Yokozuna in a casket match six months prior at the Raw Rumble, The Undertaker had not been seen of or heard of in or out of the ring 
for a long time. He vanished. The million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, claimed to have acquired the services of the dead man, a claim that Paul Bearer refuted, bringing back the man he claimed was the true undertaker. In reality, it was primetime Brian Lee, who they dressed up, they looked pretty good. They made him look pretty close to the undertaker, a little bit shorter than the than the real dead man, Dead Man Inc. But it was a great visual as the old undertaker, or should we say the, the new undertaker, Brian Lee, came out wearing the gray gloves, the gray tie. And then we saw the return of the original Undertaker wearing purple gloves, a purple tie, a way to distinguish the two from the tattoos. They were a match. What a great storyline, a great visual, not a great match, but a great moment in SummerSlam history. Also in 94, we witnessed Bret Hart versus Owen Hart, the brotherly war. Owen claimed to be better than his brother Bret and worthy of being the world champion, having beaten him in the opening match at WrestleMania 10 that year. Tensions got so high that they had to contest this match inside the confines of a steel cage partially to keep out the other members of the Hart family. A big schmoz, the British Bulldog involved, Jim the Anvil, Nightheart turning on Brett. What a storyline. Owen set himself above the rest. He stood out in this storyline, and he became a bonafide star. What a difference a year can make as Lex Luger took on Yokozuna the year prior. Not a big hit in the eyes of Vince McMahon, and then winning the Royal Rumble with Bret Hart, the first ever duo champions or duo winners of the Rumble, to the two championship matches at WrestleMania in which Lex lost to Yokozuna via interference of the special guest referee, Mr. Perfect, but Lex Luger would battle Tatanka the following year and as Tatanka made claims that Lex had sold out to Ted DiBiase's million dollar corporation and a series of misunderstandings along the way impassioned the Native Americans resolve to prove it in the end it was all revealed to be a ruse as it was Tatanka who was employed by DiBiase as Tatanka made the turn and became a bad guy he sold out to the million dollar corporation i think you could have gone even further and done the you know the native american casino owner gimmick you know a pseudo type of jbl thing they could have done that when he came back during his second stint in the WWE on smackdown but as we move further what a difference a year makes with lex luger facing yokozuna in the main event to a mid-card feud against tatanka and then one of my favorites in 1994 we witnessed razor ramon with Walter Payton take on Big Daddy Cool Diesel with the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels. When a feud gets so heated that you have to bring in an an NFL legend, that's serious business. And the click was in full effect now during the new generation era in the mid-90s. That leads us to 1995 and the Intercontinental Championship ladder match between Razor Ramon and the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels. Anytime a ladder match comes into play, especially in a singles match, you know it's a big deal. Being that this match was a rematch from WrestleMania 10, and the fact that the match went 25 minutes is also saying a lot. These two 
invented the modern day ladder match in the WWF and they carried it through. Maybe not as good as the first one, but Michaels Ramon too. The ladder match surely made an impression in SummerSlam history. As we move forward through the new generation, from a ladder match to the boiler room, in 1996, we witnessed the first ever boiler room brawl between The Undertaker and Mankind. The feud between Taker and Foley was one of the best of the 90s, and this 26-minute match was one of the cornerstones. An innovative match, a brutal one, hardcore to a T, and it fit the feud perfectly, and it made a new star in Mankind as the WWF was trying new things to counter their competitor, WCW. Then the following year, I was lucky enough to be once again in the Meadowlands Arena, the Continental Airlines Arena at the time, to witness another memorable SummerSlam pay-per-view. It all started with Mankind taking on Triple H in a steel cage match, the last of the big blue bars in SummerSlam history, in which Mankind did the infamous snooker dive from almost the top of the cage, a couple of rungs down. Since his love of snooker diving off the cage in Madison Square Garden, he paid tribute, smashing down on Triple H with China in his corner, tearing off the chest or tearing off, <laughs> tearing off his shirt to show his chest, in which you, we believe we saw a, a heart painted on it, a little glimmer of dude love, but mankind trying to steal the show in the opening matchup to the intercontinental title match between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Owen Hart. You all know what happens in this match. Go back to the Stone Cold Chronicles here on BTB. The infamous pile driver breaking Stone Cold's neck, them still finishing the match with the roll-up. That leads us to 1997's main event. The heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels was the main... That leads us to the main event in the 1997 edition with the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels, the special guest referee in the world championship matchup, the WWF title matchup between Brett, the hitman Hart, and the Undertaker, the champ. This was when Brett and Shawn were in the middle of their heated rivalry and the finish of the match wound up with Shawn Michaels accidentally hitting The Undertaker with the chair as he was going for Brett, which resulted in Brett covering The Undertaker and becoming the WWF champion. A lot, a lot of moments and a lot of major events spawned off of this one event. Of course, following this pay-per-view, it went through into the Survivor Series in November into the infamous Montreal Screwjob and Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker would go on to feud as a result of this encounter that resulted in Shawn Michaels injuring his back which ultimately led him to his first retirement from professional wrestling. And it all stemmed from this moment in SummerSlam history. A year later, I was lucky enough to witness it in Madison Square Garden in 1998. Highway to Hell was the theme. I remember the infamous hair match between X-Pac and Jeff Jarrett, Double J. And this was the beginning of the new look for Double J. The short blonde hair, the don't piss me off moniker, the short tights instead of the... Nashville country singer-themed garb he was wearing. Southern Justice, a.k.a. the Godwins. 
not really helping Jeff Jarrett much. As we witness X-Pac, we thought he was supposed to shave his head, but cut it to a nicely trimmed crew cut for the new Double J. The main event was in itself something to behold. The Undertaker versus Stone Cold Steve Austin in the peak of Stone Cold's popularity in 1998. The Highway to Hell, a perfect theme, ACDC bringing in the main event between the two. Two months earlier, though, Stone Cold had lost the WWF Championship to Kane in the inaugural First Blood match, only to win it back the next night on Raw. This led straight into the highway to hell in Madison Square Garden. It resulted in Stone Cold utilizing a low blow to The Undertaker for the 1-2-3 and retaining the WWF Championship. That moves us to the late 90s, 1999, Triple H versus Mick Foley versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, a triple threat match. It was billed as an out-of-body experience, as then Minnesota Governor Jesse the Body Ventura returned to his roots and served as a get the special guest referee. Hailing from the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Ventura was the man in the middle for the WWF Championship matchup, pitting Mankind, Triple H, and Austin with Mankind walking out victorious as he called it straight down the middle. It was interesting in itself to witness Jesse Ventura back in a World Wrestling Federation ring. Another year goes by as we get closer to the peak and the end of the Monday Night Wars and the Attitude Era, so to speak. No one will forget the hardcore title match between Steve Blackman and Shane McMahon, who was the champion at the time, but the fact that Shane O'Mac had a championship match where people still remember the party moments of the contest speaks volumes. Jumping from unimaginable heights, thinking he's New Jack, flying on top of Steve Blackman. No one will forget the antics of Shane O'Mac, especially at SummerSlam. But what stole the show was the TLC match between the Dudley Boys, Edge and Christian, and the Hardys. Three teams, countless ladders, tons of carnage through broken tables, all for the tag team championships. Back when the division was worth actually something, and it was actually red hot, so to speak. Now with the supposed close and end of the Monday Night Wars coming, with the WWF purchasing WCW reigning supreme, we now had the invasion occur, leading into 2001, in which we all saw The Undertaker and Kane defeat Diamond Dallas Page and Chris Canyon. DDP had been stalking The Undertaker's wife, Sarah, at the time, and this was the culmination of the heated but one-sided feud between the two. I also remember from 2001, the very first time the WCW Championship was defended at SummerSlam, in which Booker T, WCW, five-time, 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 five-time WCW Champion, took on the People's Champion, The Rock, one of the first huge battles between the faces of their various companies. It was a dream match, so to speak, for many who lived through the Monday Night Wars. The Rock reigning supreme, of course. And after we say this quick thank you to another one of our sponsors here on Beyond the Bell, we'll look ahead post-Monday Night War era, now that WCW is over, with the invasion angle over, and now some WCW talent is in the company, WWE, on the springboard of getting the F out, 
now from World Wrestling Federation to World Wrestling Entertainment to the brand split of Raw and SmackDown. We discuss the memories of SummerSlam during this transitional period in professional wrestling history. When we come back, we move ahead to 2002 and the return of the Heartbreak Kid. Old school fans, the battle lines have been drawn. Beyond the Bell presents the Monday Night War, the rivalry between WWF Monday Night Raw and WCW Monday Nitro. This five-part series takes you through the history of the Monday Night War from the inaugural battle to the historic simulcast. This edition covers it all. Relive the greatest moments and superstars of the war. So buckle up and prepare for war on Beyond the Bell as we present the Monday Night War. Exclusively on the SNS Radio Network and btbcast.com. Every week was a battle. SummerSlam event was held on August 25th in Uniondale, New York. The event took place at a time when the WWE was going through a transitional phase. They had just changed the company name, as we discussed previously, from the WWF to WWE. The roster was split into two, while Raw and SmackDown had separate brands. The top draw, Stone Cold Steve Austin, walked out of the organization. The second top draw, The Rock, was set to focus his growing movie career as his main priority. And a number of young talent was being called up at that point to the main roster. So your two biggest stars either leaving or left the company. And now you needed to create new stars. One of those younger talents was none other then the headliner for this year's SummerSlam in 2015, Brock Lesnar. He debuted the night after WrestleMania that year and was main eventing the show after less than five months on the main roster. Other young talent that were called up to the main roster in 2002 were also John Cena, Randy Orton, and Batista. Although none of them were on this specific show, Lesnar was the recipient of a monster push. It was a big night for the 25-year-old as he would take on The Rock for 
the undisputed WWE Championship. It wasn't, the feud wasn't monumental in an aspect, but rather the buildup is what made it so well remembered. What I liked about it the most was the behind the scenes or the training montages between both. The Rock, of course, running the steps in Miami, getting prepared, you know, uh, doing his extensive cardio and agility workouts inside the gym, training, preparing for a physical battle. Meanwhile, flip the coin, Brock lifting logs, carrying logs on roads in the wilderness, in the woods. So it was a la Rocky Four training montages. It fit. I think they should do this to this very day. I've mentioned it multiple times on BTB. Give it that sport feel. There was a glimpse of it I saw, but it wasn't publicized on Raw. It was on WD.com, Rusev training for his battle with John Cena. That it brought me back to this buildup, this feud between Brock and Rock. Their physical side, their training aspect is what drove this match. Can the young gun, the 25-year-old, defeat the biggest star in the company? That was the simple feud and pushed by their athleticism. You can make it entertaining but still have the sport feel. A feel that would, I believe, take professional wrestling to another level. Without insulting people's intelligence, you could still have solid, believable matches that people can get invested in that it seems real. Having a sport-like feel, but at the same time entertaining us and knowing you're going to have a long, extensive match in a main event. As to a five-second knockout you can get in UFC. But like Taz says, I digress. But that's what made the match and the feud memorable that year. The build-up was real. And Brock Lesnar winning the championship within his first five months in the company. The rocket was strapped to his back. And little did we know what would come from Brock Lesnar in years to come. But that year, the most memorable feud for me would be the unsanctioned street fight between Shawn Michaels and Triple H. Shawn Michaels and Triple H are our best of friends, are closer than a lot of brothers. Triple H, my friend, is that a lie or is that the truth? and Triple H, they're, they're closer than a lot of brothers. Tonight, the game brings you his best friend, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels and Triple H are our best of friends. That friendship is really what slayed Triple H. That's what brought him here to Raw. Let's get ready to suck it. Shawn Michaels and I were never best friends. I used Shawn Michaels to get to the top, just like Shawn Michaels used me to stay at the top. Now I am the showstopper. Now I am the icon. What the hell do you want? Stage manager Nick Dawes telling, telling the game something. Where's he going? <laughs> 
Sanction your match at SummerSlam. Officially, your match will never happen. But it will happen, Eric. I will fight till there's nothing left. Till my legs are gone, you won't forget me. Cause I will fight till my final breath. Just to see you fall, I'll make you fear me. emotion is hard to find in professional wrestling sometimes we're used to seeing so many uh, fake i hate to use the term fake when of course discussing professional wrestling but so many phony things happening that we don't really get emotionally invested in when we're watching like i just mentioned previously about the sport like feel between brock and rock but in the case of Shawn michaels and triple h you had a more entertainment angle as opposed to the great sport realistic angle of Brock and Rock which was great but you also had another great sports entertainment style of things that shows this is something you can do that other organizations UFC MMA other genres can't do it felt like it was one of those special kind of matches because of the way they told the story Michaels was the returning hero in his first match in over four years and Hunter had just turned heel after it was revealed that he had attacked HBK. It seemed like every time Michaels took a back bump, the crowd would gasp. You felt it being there in the crowd. You felt the crowd cringe every time Shawn Michaels' back was wrenched. They didn't know if he was going to be okay. The man had back surgery. It was very serious. The announcers drove the point home all night long, too. Great storytelling. When he grabbed his back... Was he selling, or did it really hurt him? 
a lot of the time. We had no idea in the crowd you thought he was being destroyed. Even if you thought it was, of course, you know it's a fake match. Fake. A scripted, choreographed match. Between two in real life best friends. You still thought, well, maybe Shawn Michaels shouldn't be wrestling anyway. And him wrestling is really hurting him. In, a, in actual reality. But a win for Michaels made a lot of sense for the story. Because he was the babyface that got attacked by his best friend. However, Hunter was a performer that was booked so strongly that it was hard to see Michaels getting the win. If Michaels lost in a close match, it would have been fine. But this is one of those matches that needed a win. That's what happened as HBK countered a pedigree attempt and used his back to cover Hunter for the decisive 1-2-3 victory. The reaction to the win was so magical. It's because, really because it felt real. That's how good they were at telling the story. The post-match angle in which Triple H attacked Michaels with the sledgehammer was a smart way to add to the heat. It also allowed Michaels to stay out of the ring for three months until he returned at Survivor Series, in which he won the World Heavyweight title, in which I was lucky enough to witness in Madison Square Garden in the Elimination Chamber. But that feud, that storyline angle between Shawn Michaels and Triple H was one of the greatest feuds in SummerSlam history, bar none. Now we fast forward one year later, 2003, Brock once again in the main event, and once again the challenger, this time taking on the Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle, who is then WWE champion. In a rematch from a prior pay-per-view, the two former amateur wrestlers squared off following some deception by Lesnar and Vince McMahon, which led to a beatdown of the Olympic gold medalist. We'll be discussing this on this date in history this month on Unplugged. A great match between the two that involved Brock Lesnar turning heel and deceiving his friend Kurt Angle to join up with the devil himself, Mr. McMahon. This mega main event featured Lesnar attempting twice to lift Angle up onto his F5. During the second attempt, however, Angle countered the throw into another ankle lock, which forced Lesnar to tap out. As a result, Angle retained the WWE Championship. Championship, proving that just as much Brock can win the title, he can also lose in the main event of SummerSlam. Speaking of the Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle, we fast forward to 2004, a great matchup pitting Kurt Angle versus Latino Heat Eddie Guerrero, a feud that had built up actively over the six months prior, including a match at WrestleMania. This was the culmination of their feud, which included Angle disguising himself in the weeks prior as El Gran Luchador, in preparation for this encounter. This feud first started at WrestleMania 20, like I just mentioned, when Guerrero defeated Angle to successfully retain the WWE Championship. Eddie lost the title to JBL John Bradshaw Layfield in June of that year when Angle then smacked down general manager Screw Guerrero and declared JBL the winner. Three weeks later, on the July 15th episode of SmackDown, JBL defeated Guerrero in a steel cage match to retain the title. 
putting the nail in the coffin. Towards the end of the match, El Gran Luchador, like I just mentioned, who was Kurt Angle, interfered, giving JBL enough time to escape the cage and win the match. After the match ended, Guerrero attacked Luchador and pulled off the mask, of course, to reveal the Kurt Angle Olympic gold medalist revealing to be Kurt Angle. On the following episode of SmackDown, Vince McMahon scheduled a match between Angle and Guerrero for that year's SummerSlam. A great match between the two. Angle gained control over Guerrero early on in the match, and then mid-match, the referee was knocked out. And as a result, Eddie took his boot off and used it to hit both Angle and Luther Reigns, his partner, his bodyguard, you could say at the time, who was at ringside with Angle and tried to get involved in the matchup. Then this match concluded when Angle was able to counter a frog splash and performed an ankle lock on Guerrero with Angle winning the matchup via submission after, after Latino Heat had tapped out. This SummerSlam was historic in a sense as we witnessed the third match between John Cena and Booker T in their best of five series for the United States Championship. Cena and Booker would compete in up to five matches where the first person to win three of the matches would become the new United States Champion. The Eddie... The Eddie Guerrero-Kurt Angle matchup was the secondary storyline, you could say, on the SmackDown side. And the main event of SummerSlam that year pitted Randy Orton versus World Heavyweight Champion Chris Benoit. This night, we all witnessed Randy Orton become the youngest World Heavyweight Champion in WWE history as he defeated the rabid Wolverine Chris Benoit. This was a huge moment in sports entertainment history as Randy Orton was hoisted up on top of Batista's shoulders, a part of evolution. Something was in the air, though, as the next night on Raw, Randy Orton defeated Chris Benoit in a rematch to retain the championship. And then after the match, evolution and his colleagues, Batista, Ric Flair, and Triple H, threw Orton a mock celebration only to reveal that they were not pleased with their new victory. While Batista had Orin propped up on his shoulders, Triple H gave him a, a gladiator-esque thumbs up, but abruptly changed it to a thumbs down. He then told Batista to drop Orin straight on the mat, electric chair style. This storyline culminated with Triple H telling Orin to give him the title or pay the price. This resulted in a heated feud between Orton and his former mentor, Triple H. We move ahead to 2005, another great year in SummerSlam history. We'll start off talking about the classic ladder match between Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. Does a feud get any more personal than basing it around the custody of one of the participants' sons? Eddie was claiming to be the father of Mysterio's son, Dominic, and they then decided to settle the custody dispute in a ladder match, of course. Why not put the child's custody up in a ladder match? A great rivalry, great promo work, the I'm Your Poppy storyline from Eddie. One of his last great feuds before his untimely passing. A great matchup. Who will 
No one will ever forget the botched spot. You could say of Vicky coming down a little bit late with Eddie flipping out, cursing. Where is Vicky? Where is Vicky? Damn it! Where is Vicky? In the end, Rey Mysterio finally winning sole custody of his son Dominic. A classic match between two best friends, and we'll certainly miss the late great Eddie Guerrero. Also on the card, Kurt Angle. Also on the card for the WWE Championship. John Cena took on Chris Jericho. In the build-up to this feud, Jericho hit Cena with a steel chair on one show and a television camera two weeks prior. Soon after this match, Jericho was forced to leave the WWE due to his inability to beat Cena. This is when Eric Bischoff fired, quote-unquote, Jericho from WWE. This was technically his first departure from the company, This was technically his first departure from the company as he decided to focus on his music career with Fozzie. Jericho would return in the future via the Save Us promos, and this would be the pattern for Jericho over the next half decade or so, leaving and returning to the company. The main event of SummerSlam in 2005 pitted the great confrontation between the immortal Hulk Hogan and the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels. By the very nature of their respective statures, this match was huge. But the build-up to the match showed that this wasn't a contest based on mutual respect. I was there in person in the garden watching Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan pose together, it was electric. But something in me felt as if, what if Shawn Michaels gave sweet chin music to Hogan? What would happen? And so it did a short time later in, w- in which we witnessed Shawn Michaels for just a second, a moment in time, turning back to his old heel HBK character. It was kind of cool. We were used to the the born-again Christian, family-friendly Shawn Michaels. Now, a little glimpse of that heel HBK was back in the mix. Great promo work between the two, as you wanted to see who was the better superstar, who was the better entertainer. No one will forget the classic Larry King segment featuring Hulk Hogan, or should we say the heartbreakster, Shawn Michaels pretending, dressing up like Hulk Hogan, doing the brother, 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 brother. Great rivalry, great buildup between the two leading up to the main event match. The match was okay. Some say it's a solid, entertaining performance between the two. Some will say it's just Shawn Michaels overselling, as he did quite a bit. That big boot, he flip-flopped and flied all over the ring. Punches, which, Shaw, which we saw Shawn Michaels be thrown all across the arena. Some would say it's believable because he is much smaller than the Hulkster. And, of course, some others would say it was a complete bo- a debauchery and blatant disrespect shown to the Hulkster. Nevertheless, Hulk Hogan gave him the big boot and leg drop and won the main event matchup in which Shawn Michaels extended his hand and said, I just needed to see. I needed to know. This was supposed to be a best out of three series. It was supposed to continue on with Shawn Michaels winning, leading to the rubber match. Who knows what it ended up winning that? Maybe the Hulkster. Quite possibly the Hulkster. But this will be the one and only confrontation between Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan in the 2005 edition of SummerSlam. We move forward to 2006. Speaking of the Hulkster, 
Hulk Hogan returned to SummerSlam, this time to face Randy Orton a year later. The third match of the card was between Hulk Hogan and Randy Orton, the legend killer. Orton took the advantage in the match as he focused on Hogan's injured knee. The match saw Orton perform an RKO onto the Hulkster, but as Orton went for the pin, Hogan had his feet on the ropes. The referee did not see his feet and originally gave Orton the victory. Later, the referee saw that Hogan's feet were still on the ropes and restarted the match. Hogan won the contest when he performed his signature leg drop on Orton for a pinfall victory. This was fitting for the Legend Killer storyline. At this time, Orton was really pushing his domination over Legends, defeating anyone who steps in his way, and Hogan was his next target. A great match between the two. Very underrated match. And this was shown on his Hogan Knows Best reality series. As at this point in his career, his family and friends were worried about his health inside the ring. And this was eight years ago. Amazing. Great match between the two that saw the Hulkster winning once again at SummerSlam. We also saw the WWE Championship on the line between Edge versus John Cena. Does it get more personal than Edge doing or going to Cena's house and slapping his father? How about Cena attacking Edge in his hotel room? Great match, great rivalry between the two that culminated at one of the peaks and valleys happened at SummerSlam, but it was the matchup between Mick Foley and Ric Flair, in my opinion, that makes SummerSlam this year in 2006 well-remembered. An I-quit match that was fueled by their respective comments in each each of their autobiographies with, Flair, with Foley throwing the first punch and Flair countering years later. Foley questioned Flair's booking abilities in WCW, and Flair labeled Foley a glorified stuntman. In the beginning, Foley used his hand puppet. The ring was surrounded by many of his hardcore objects, including Foley's signature bag of thumbtacks. Mr. Sokka was ready to take on the nature boy. Flair was thrown into the object several times as he managed to hit Foley with a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. When Foley got up, Flair charged him over the top rope onto a trash can. Foley was unconscious until Molina, Foley's friend, came with officials to check on him. Foley was unable to continue, so the referee rang the bell, giving Flair the victory. Flair continued the assault, and Molina saved Foley. As Flair was ready to hit Molina with the bat, Foley quit the match and gave Flair the victory. He took his love for Molina, as a friend you could say, and sacrificed the matchup to save her. A great storytelling matchup. A decent ending, considering two legends, but it was the build-up, the anticipation for this match, from real-life animosity, bringing it into the ring. A great hardcore match between these two legends, Ric Flair, in a hardcore match, taking on the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. Could you ask for anything more? I think not. Then in 2007, we witnessed the returning MVP to take on Matt Hardy. In 2007, we witnessed... A heater rivalry and a bunch of returns. MVP versus Matt Hardy. What a great feud between the two. From drinking contests, eating contests, boxing matchups. On Saturday night's main event, which returned to NBC that year. 
these two battled it out, including this year's SummerSlam in 2007. This specific event also involved the returns of Triple H, Rey Mysterio, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. The rattlesnake brought down the house with a surprise visit. At the behest of Matt Hardy, the Texas rattlesnake sauntered down the entrance ramp to take on MVP in a beer drinking contest. As expected, the United States champion could not hold a can to the legendary beer guzzler. The rattlesnake then proceeded to drop the cocky pretender with a stone-cold stunner. This event also marked Triple H returning, like I mentioned, after his second major quad injury. The King of Kings returned successfully at that year's SummerSlam. In 2008, we witnessed The Undertaker take on Edge in a Hell in a Cell match. Edge's path to salvation ended at SummerSlam in 2008 when The Undertaker returned and sent the Rated-R Superstar straight to hell after a destructive and demonic Hell in a Cell match. Also that year, we witnessed Batista take on John Cena. Two of the most dominant WWE superstars of the past decade, Batista and John Cena, weaved very parallel careers and their career paths that ultimately intersected at SummerSlam that year. It was the eagerly anticipated, one of the most eagerly anticipated, without a doubt, one-on-one confrontations that ended with the animal roaring in victory in surprising fashion. 2009 was another interesting year in SummerSlam history. The World Heavyweight Championship was contested in a TLC match, pitting Jeff Hardy versus CM Punk. When one competitor calls out another for having a long-standing drug problem, that's personal, of course. There's a reason this was contested with tables, ladders, and chairs. And that was due to the heat of rivalry between Jeff Hardy and CM Punk. At this point, this was the transition to exit Hardy from the WWE, a heated rivalry. As Hardy's contract was ending, CM Punk boasted that it was him, himself, that gave the boot to the charismatic enigma Jeff Hardy. TLC style in his very own match. This really set CM Punk apart from the other up-and-comers at the time in the company. A great match, a great feud, and great promo work. Not just from CM Punk, but from Jeff Hardy as well. The fact that the show ended with this match said it all. The culmination of the match was when Punk ultimately punching the champion off the ladder before grabbing the title to the victory, taking the title from Jeff Hardy and becoming the new world heavyweight champion. But as he was celebrating, the lights briefly went out only for The Undertaker to appear and chokeslam CM Punk in shocking fashion. It should be noted that one of the other matches that year was D-Generation X, Triple H for Shawn D-Generation X, Shawn Michaels and Triple H teaming up once again, reforming DX in 2009, this time to take on the legacy comprised of Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase. If Triple H and Shawn Michaels are teaming up on pay-per-view, it's for good reason. This time around, it was to quiet the guys who were claiming to be the next generation stars to put away their past, their prime buddies or foes at this time. 
as CM Punk started to catapult from 2009 into 2010, we witnessed the Big Show taking on the Straight Edge Society. They tried every combination of having CM Punk and crew take on Big Show, and it culminated with Big Show fighting the trio in a handicap match from CM Punk getting his head shaved wearing a mask. The Straight Edge Superstar created the Straight Edge Society, having the Messiah-like character, in a sense, looking like Jesus with the long hair, the big beard, that the religious-style promo work he did. It was a great group, a great stable, and a great rivalry that had its culmination at SummerSlam. Great promo work from CM Punk and the Straight Edge Society. But in 2010, what most people may remember... About that year, SummerSlam was the main event matchup between Team WWE and Team Nexus. Seven on seven, the WWE put together a team in the hopes of quieting the rebellion from the young competitors coming up from NXT that year. The winner was Wade Barrett. But but instead of the future Bad News competitor coming in, he brought in the entire roster from NXT that year. There were eight, but we're down to seven as Daniel Bryan was fired due to their takeover incident that year, choking Justin Roberts. It was a heated rivalry, a great feud between two glorified stables, Team WWE and Team Nexus. But Nexus surprised everybody by debuting all together on an episode of Monday Night Raw, taking over the entire set. The arena basically basically was taken over by the, the young up-and-comers, led by Wade Barrett, ripping up the ring, the apron, destroying the announce table, choking out announcers, and destroying John Cena. Not only John Cena, but the chairman himself, Mr. McMahon. And this all culminated at SummerSlam. 2010 was also the year in which we witnessed Brett the Hitman Hart return to the company and he wound up being on Team WWE's side to take on the new competitors. But Team WWE was short one man and they wound up bringing back Daniel Bryan to join Team WWE against Team Nexus in storyline since they booted him out of the group. A great main event match between the two groups that I think you, you could have done more with the Nexus group if done differently as the storyline unfolded. But no one will forget Team WWE versus Team Nexus and the return of the now Yes Man Daniel Bryan. In 2011, the main feud heading into SummerSlam from the SmackDown brand was between Christian and Randy Orton. This was over Christian's World Heavyweight Championship. And the main event from the Raw brand for SummerSlam would pit John Cena against the straight-edge superstar CM Punk. The storyline into this match was that both were vying for the right of being called the undisputed WWE champion. In the weeks leading up to the Money in the Bank pay-per-view in July on Raw, Punk announced the expiration of his WWE contract on the night of July 17th during his infamous shoot promo that year on that night on Raw that made him that very episode of Raw that made him the superstar he became over the next two years. That one promo set him up as a legitimate permanent main eventer in the company. 
he lambasted WWE for failing to promote him as the best wrestler in the world. He threatened some high authority figures, even Vince McMahon, Triple H, and Stephanie. At Money in the Bank, Punk pinned Cena to win the title, basically, in storyline, taking it away with him as he hadn't signed a contract. In reality, he signed halfway through the pay-per-view back with the company. So Punk took it everywhere with him, at Comic-Con, at independent shows. In storyline, CM Punk was a rogue wrestler with the WWE title. Since there was no champion, they held a tournament on Raw to declare a new WWE champion, in which Rey Mysterio won the title, but soon found John Cena recapturing the gold. And this would lead to SummerSlam, title versus title, for the undisputed WWE Championship. Triple H announced he would be the special guest referee for this main event match. And in the end, we witnessed CM Punk defeating the Doctor of Thugonomics, John Cena, to become the undisputed WWE Champion only for, for Alberto Del Rio to come in and cash in his Money in the Bank briefcase and defeat CM Punk to become the brand new WWE Champion. A surprising cash-in in the main event of SummerSlam that will be the theme for the next couple years to come. In 2012, Dolph Ziggler vs. Chris Jericho was, in a, was a great, great rivalry. An underrated rivalry along the lines of the Hitman vs. Mr. Perfect. That mid-card rivalry that wasn't featured prominently, but had stellar matches. Though it started with both men as heels, they played up the arrogance of both competitors and somehow managed to turn Jericho into a face in the process in a feud that has spanned two months at that point. But it involves Ziggler referencing things that have happened over the course of the past eight months. Jericho's rib injury came into play when it cost him too much time to cover Dolph after hitting him with a Frankensteiner off the top rope. Dolph was very close to victory after catching Chris with his knees and when he tried for the lion's salt and then hit the zigzag. Chris hit Ziggler with the code breaker, but the momentum from the move knocked him out of the ring. When he got back into the ring, Chris made Dolph tap out via the walls of Jericho. A great match. A very underrated match, so go back and take a look at this great mid-card rivalry between Ziggler and Jericho. But it was one of the feature matches of SummerSlam that year that stole the show. Triple H versus Brock Lesnar, the main event, a no-disqualification match. The former UFC heavyweight champion broke Triple H's arm, questioned his parenting abilities, and even brutally attacked the man who was in his corner at SummerSlam that year, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Brock Lesnar broke the arm of Triple H as well, which would lead up to a rivalry that would extend to WrestleMania that year, or the following year should I say, or within the year of the WWE schedule or the WWE season that we know. But in 2012 was the first matchup between Triple H versus Brock Lesnar. In the end, Brock Lesnar defeated the game, and at the end of SummerSlam, Triple H stood in the ring questioning if he should even continue as an active in-ring performer. But they would go on for a best two out of three, resulting in Triple H winning at WrestleMania, then Brock winning the third and final rubber match. Speaking of Brock Lesnar, the following year we witnessed 
the best versus the beast, all surrounding Paul Heyman. As CM Punk had his historic year, breaking records, becoming one of the longest reigning WWE champions in history, accompanied by Paul Heyman, and in turn, as champion, turning from babyface to heel. Amazing. Very historic moments in that title reign for CM Punk. Paul Heyman was the mastermind, so to speak, behind Punk's reign. And as it ended, so did the relationship of Punk and Heyman. With The Rock becoming WWE Champion, CM Punk was looking for some direction. And this time, Heyman dropped Punk, who was responsible. Some would say Punk dropped Heyman. Heyman will tell you Heyman dropped Punk. But in turn, Heyman went back to his number one line item, his top real estate, his top client, Brock Lesnar, in which the best took on the beast at SummerSlam. And just like the previous year, Brock Lesnar would reign supreme, defeating the supposed best in the world. And the previous next big thing, the now beast, was the beast of SummerSlam last year in 2013. But what was most historic from last year's SummerSlam in 2013 was the main event matchup between Daniel Bryan versus John Cena. The Yes Movement going in full effect leading up to that year's big event. How they got there was not the best of storylines with John Cena just picking Daniel Bryan instead of him earning it. But the fans were behind Daniel Bryan. Great promo work between the two leading up to a great Almost four and a half star, five star match between the two. A great matchup for the WWE title. Triple H, the special guest referee once again in a SummerSlam main event, just like two years prior. Except this time, he would play a major factor, not during the match, but at the end. Two years ago, repeated as well, as surprisingly, Daniel Bryan defeated John Cena to become the WWE champion. That was only until Triple H pedigreed Daniel Bryan in the middle of the ring, which led to Randy Orton cashing in his Money in the Bank briefcase and taking away Daniel Bryan's WWE championship breaking the hearts of the fans in the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California. No one will ever forget that main event in 2013. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Highspots.com is an official affiliate of the SNS Radio Network. Highspots is a leading online retailer for professional wrestling and mixed martial arts, offering action figures, DVDs, apparel, championship belts, wrestling gear, and even wrestling rings. High Spots is committed to be your one-stop shop for all wrestling and mixed martial arts products. Whether you're a wrestling fan, a pro wrestler, or a promoter, you can find what you are looking for at HighSpots.com. Go to BTBCast.com or SNSRadioNetwork.com and click on the High Spots banner and it will take you directly to the High Spots main page where you can purchase everything a wrestling fan could want. By doing so, the SNS Radio Network will receive a kickback, which goes directly into improving the network for you fans. So go to HighSpots.com now and boost your pro wrestling collection.
all set to be the biggest show since WrestleMania. A very conscious decision by the WWE. The extension of the show to four hours. The inclusion of a celebrity host of Jon Stewart. The booking of huge marquee main events are all deliberate steps taken to ensure that SummerSlam has a decidedly grander, bigger feel than usual. But the scale is no guarantee of success, of course. The pay-per-view could be anything from a wild success to a huge disaster. It all depends upon the quality of the matches, the reception of its booking decisions, a number of key questions need to be answered. Storylines need to be either wrapped up or continued on in an entertaining fashion. Who should win between Lesnar and Undertaker? Should Cena be allowed to end Seth Rollins' great title reign? And of course, will Cena win the world championship for the 16th time, tying Ric Flair's record? Will he become a dual champion? Does Seth Rollins take the U.S. title and defend it? Sheamus, why is he still in control of the Money in the Bank briefcase? What can he do in SummerSlam? The build to this year's event has been decidedly less skeptical than that of WrestleMania. But what that event this past April taught us was that the mood leading into a pay-per-view can have no bearing over its actual quality. It was a much better event than what we thought. But could SummerSlam be the opposite? The WWE has control over the whole weekend in Brooklyn, from NXT starting on Saturday through SummerSlam and Raw the next night in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn all three nights, sold out back to back to back. The question is, what should happen? People talking about Roman Reigns possibly turning heel. That'd be a shocking moment to occur between the family versus family, the Shield, two-thirds of the Shield reuniting against the family, two-thirds of the Wyatts reuniting. Could that be something that makes a mark on this year's SummerSlam? I'm not sure. I, I foresee this feud continuing on, possibly to a six-man, maybe Sting being involved next month rather than this current month for SummerSlam. And with Eric Rowan returning, a six-man could be the next step for this feud. But stranger things have happened in the WWE. Jon Stewart being the guest host, it could either be great and entertaining or too much of him could be pretty detrimental to the pay-per-view. Regardless of how charismatic and beloved they may be, or Jon Stewart may be, and, and the superstars with him in segments may be, it, as long as you don't oversaturate. But also the involvement of another star, Stephen Amell, who I'm a, I'm a big Arrow fan. You limit his in-ring competitiveness... Don't make it seem hokey. We, we don't want a Jay Leno situation here. Granted, Stephen Amell is not Jay Leno, but I like the comic book feel, being a comic book fan as as well. I like that aspect of it, but I also want to see this feud wrapped up and the Stardust character wrapped up and Stardust to be packed away and Cody Rhodes to be brought back. Tag team titles, some believe... Primetime players still have more legs. I personally want to see, I'm, I'm shocked I'm even saying, saying this, the New Day, a New Day coming back together as champions to just continue their entertaining storylines and entertaining angles we see each and every week just for the fact that they can do more with the tag team titles. Granted, you could say they don't need them, they're over without them, but I think they can make the titles more entertaining and squeaking out victories in a very... Uh, a non-ethical way moving forward. I just love uh, 
the 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 chance the the innovative chance from the new day, new day and i just feel they're the top act in the tag team division therefore they should be the tag team champions the intercontinental title ryback should retain the championship keep his longevity keep the title legitimacy going especially since ryback has been inactive for a few weeks keep that going but you can still have a, a diverse match with you know two big guys and the miz tying things together i mean it may have I would have picked possibly a different combination of stars in the match, but Ryback should go over and stay as IC champion. But the match that I think could really steal the show, especially in Brooklyn, that could take the fans for a ride, is Cesaro versus Kevin Owens. This is their time to shine. Let them show the WWE Universe what they can do. There's, of course, no guarantee this will be the case for them to be given the opportunity and the length of time to steal the show, but this this is the crowd that is geared and built for these two superstars to display and and demonstrate their craft. This match, in a, in a sense, can make Cesaro, while at the same time keeping Owens's reputation alive, or not alive, but. Um, to grow his reputation of being a solid in-ring semi to main or semi-main to main event performer. The Divas matchup will be a hodgepodge of these great athletes because, you know, not talking about a one-on-one matchup but for the Divas championship, which I believe should be the women's championship again. Um, but I think they're going to wait until... Nikki breaks AJ's record as the longest reigning Divas champion. Yes, I believe that's what they're waiting for. But some feel, I think either Charlotte or Sasha needs to come out of this match strong and needs to pick up the victory. I love Becky Lynch. Something about her I just love. But those two top stars, young stars, they need to get the rub and need to get the victory at this this main, this high-scale main level event of SummerSlam. The top tier events. And this is their top-tier event debut, Charlotte and Sasha. And I feel either one of those two need to get the W here or need to go over to have that edge or make that mark as them being a top contender in the Divas division. But this needs to be a solid match to continue on about promoting or prompting or <laughs> boosting this revolution. I feel you should call it a revolution after it's actually happened instead of while it's still being developed as a revolution. Nevertheless, Sasha Charlotte should go over in this Divas hodgepodge nine-woman tag. Orton and Sheamus, again, another match between these two. Fine, I'm kind of sick of their combination, but if it's a hot crowd, they'll make the match work. But this is Brooklyn. They could crap on the match, too. I wish somehow they'd find a way to get the briefcase off, off of Sheamus, but... Nevertheless, he's still the Money in the Bank holder. He could come into play later on in the main event with CNN Rollins. And possibly if Orton goes over, it could be a sign of things to come. But another Orton-Sheamus match. Now we look to the World Heavyweight Championship, the WWE World Heavyweight Championship match. John Cena, a 16-time world champion. Could that happen? There's a possibility, but I feel this is not the time for Cena. Granted... You not the best time for merchandise as you just released a 15-time champion t-shirt and gear for Cena. Now all of a sudden he's going for a 16th championship. I do like what he's done with the U.S. title. He's pushed it 
boosted it, made it a reputable championship, but now it's on the line. So what happens? Does Rollins win the championship and now has to defend, defend both titles? Could Sheamus come up to play here and be the, the foil that gets the out here? There's a, there's a few options, but some feel Rollins should continue on to WrestleMania as champion, but some say, sadly, that the time for his reign should end. It's time for the reign to end, and it's come around. Cena might not be the ideal candidate to take the title, but he's certainly the most convenient. He gives the, the WWE Championship instant credibility. And the person who eventually takes it from him will surely be on the huge end of a big boost as a result of it. But the only danger is that the WWE see fit to keep the title on Cena for a long time, carrying him through to WrestleMania as champion. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but all bets are off the table whenever Cena is inside the squared circle in a main event spot for the world title. Even winning the U.S. title possibly here in, in as long as it's a straightforward match with, without any interference, could be. But then Cena me the next night on Raw winning back the U.S. title? Could be. But I think the match everyone's waiting to see is the headlining main event. You could say there's a dual main event. Anytime the World Championship's involved, it should be the main event, yes. But not when you have Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. The rematch from the streak. That is your instant main event two sides you can look at it the undertaker getting his win back avenging his loss to lesnar from two years ago but the other end is brock lesnar destroying the undertaker logic dictates that the undertaker should get his win back right avenging the loss the devastating loss at 30 and riding off to the sunset or the moonlight, you know, wherever the taker would ride off to. But Brock is no normal opponent, and indeed no normal member of the roster. He is currently the biggest, scariest threat in professional wrestling. He deserves to utterly dominate Taker, or at least pick up a dramatic victory. A dominant defeat of the Phenom would generate a great deal of attention, and also elevate Lesnar to the level he was before losing the championship at 31. It could set up a Brock-Cena rematch, you know, if Cena would win. An exciting program, which should carry you through between SummerSlam and WrestleMania. But equally, it's perhaps time to call The Undertaker's illustrious career an end before he damages his legacy. Some feel he's lost what he, the, the in-ring essence he's had over the past few years. His last two big matches, the infamous loss to Lesnar and the underwhelming victory over Bray Wyatt, were nowhere near the standard the fans have come to expect from The Undertaker. And it's, of course, it's inevitable. It's a result of aging. It's, it's, we don't blame The Undertaker for that. It's just its course of career, course of life. Some feel the best option for both men would be a Brock win, something which should be no problem to arrange, given The Undertaker's evident his evident willingness to put Lesnar over, of course, especially at WrestleMania. But some feel maybe this is The Undertaker's last year, his last ride, <laughs> so to speak, and he will finish and ride off into the sunset at WrestleMania 32 in his hometown in Texas. Could the rubber match take place, or Taker wins, leading to a rubber match at WrestleMania 32? These are all options here, and valuable options. So where do you go? Where do you go between these two? Could this be the time Kane returns 
to help his brother out and avenge what Lesnar did to his ankle as he destroyed Kane's ankle a week, so I think a couple months prior, even before the Seth and uh, Lesnar match took place at Battleground. Does this call for a run-in and a hodgepodge, or do you have the straightforward brawl between these two? My gut is telling me The Undertaker gets back his victory, even though a huge part of me, the the booker, the pro wrestling fan that's has you know 33 years of knowledge behind him, feels that Lesnar should stay strong. It should beat The Undertaker, as he's going to carry on for years to come as The Undertaker is winding down his career. But do we end The Undertaker's career on a high note? It's all it's it's conflicting back and forth, and I hate to give a solid yes or no answer, but if you were to pull one out of me, I go with Undertaker getting back his W from Lesnar, possibly leading to the rubber match, possibly at WrestleMania 32. Nevertheless, this is going to be a great card, a four-hour event with hopefully surprises. Some instant classic matches and hopefully feuds that will culminate to great matches that will be added to future installments of our greatest feuds of SummerSlam history. I thank you fans for joining us for this jam-packed two-parter into one, a premium edition of BTB as we cover the greatest feuds of SummerSlam history. Again, I hope to be back this weekend with updated news and notes and reports from SummerSlam weekend in Brooklyn, New York. Fans, thank you for joining us once again as we cover all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. We'll take it home with some old school music. One of my favorite SummerSlam themes came from 2009 by Aerosmith. You gotta move. We'll bring us into SummerSlam weekend. Until the biggest event of the summer, I'll see you next time on BTB. As always, Stay summer sizzling, my old school friends.
to be. 